do we have here? Yeah, here I thought we were special. Fellas, this here's Bagman. Hangman. Whatever. What the hell kind of mission is this? Everyone here is the best there is. Who the hell are they gonna get to teach us? Captain Pete Maverick Mitchell. Let me be perfectly blunt. You are not my first choice. You are here at the request of Admiral Kazansky, AKA Iceman. He seems to think that you have something left to offer the Navy. What that is, I can't imagine. With all due respect, sir, I'm not a teacher. Just want to manage expectations. What the hell? Good morning, aviators. This is your captain speaking. And we're off. Here we go. In three, two, one. We're going into combat on a level no living pilot's ever seen. Not even him. You think up there you're dead. Believe me. My dad believed in you. I'm not gonna make the same mistake. Someone's not coming back from this. Those are your pilots. Anything happens to them. You will never forgive yourself. No turning back now. Having any fun yet? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Joygasm, a video game and movie podcast. I'm Russ. He is Steve. And we feel the need, the need for speed. In episode 274 today, June 3rd, 20. 22. We are very excited to be able to talk about our topic of the day, which is the Top Gun Maverick movie review. But before we get started, make sure you get a nice missile lock on that subscribe button and get a good tone on that notification bell. That way you will not miss a single solitary episode of Joygasm. It drops once a week, every week. Steve, I have been... So looking forward to being able to talk to you about as am I, Russ. This film, I know you saw it about uh, mm. day before me. I think <laughs> I want to say. <laughs> Give me your high level thought, Steve. Russ, the movie's great. Mm. Um, it is, isn't it? <laughs> it was. Uh, it was a very fun experience. Now, I'm going to start off by saying it's kind of movie you don't want to watch streaming at home. With the speakers on your TV. Mm. This is a movie. It's meant for the big screen. El Gigantor. Screeno. Russ. Um, How many times have you seen this? Just once or more? I've just seen it once, Russ, because I want to go see it in IMAX. <laughs> Where yo ass. Oh, boy. I can and, see uh, a mandate in our Yeah. Bro date. Mandate. <laughs> 
Um, There's a mandate for Brody. <laughs> But oh, and and they did film it for IMAX. I mean, they they were, I looked at some little behind the scenes stuff. They sure. had like specific cameras. Like there were many cameras that can fit the jets, but they were like IMAX cameras. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the way. I mean, you look at the thing and you have to see it on IMAX. It's great on the big screen, but I mean, you needed to see it on the ginormous, the huge. Yes, humongous. Screen. Yes, that's how it's gonna be, Russ. And this was like one of the only movies where. I thought it's not turned up enough. Oh, usually it's kind of just it's too loud. Uh-huh. But the sound effects were so good and nothing really hurt my ears and I wanted them to jack that volume up. Loud. I wanted to feel like the thrusters. Mm. <clears throat> Did you know? Just in my chest. And I, I mean it was cool. I mean it what they didn't have it like you know, um, it seemed like the audio was well balanced. It was definitely we went and balanced. We saw yeah. it in the same theater room that, yes. that the local theater had to offer. Yeah. And normally it's actually, I would argue typically it's, it's a touch too loud. Like that. It's right. just like, Whoa. Yeah. But mm. this one, I wanted it louder. Ah, very good. Steve. So, um, also I took my wife and I took my mother-in-law Hmm. Mother-in-law never saw the movie before, never saw the first one, never saw, of course, doesn't know anything about this one. Wifey didn't really care for the first one, but uh, I drug them both. (laughs) I'm like, I'm not going to see this by myself. You're all coming with me. So (laughs) we're going to have some quality time together. Like, but we don't want to go. You're going. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the man of the house. And I say we're going to go. So, um... We all went and we all had a fabulous time, which says something to the movie making because I watched the movie, the, the first one, mm-hmm. plenty of times. Yes. Wife's only seen it like once. Mm-hmm. Mother-in-law hasn't seen it at all. And we go in and we all have like our own separate opinions of fun of the movie, but we all enjoyed it. Like it wasn't, no one left going like, yeah, right. yeah, you know, sort of thing. We all had a fabulous time. Which goes well towards everything, like in the movie, the sound, the visuals, the story, the music. Yeah. Um, so anyway, they they I'm I wish we got the movie a while ago, but I'm glad to have the movie now yes. with all the technology that we have. So um, I'll pause right there, Russ. Mm. What did you think of it? I thought it was great. I think that it is the best movie of the year so far that we have seen. Um, I, you know, the, the emphasis on so far, because obviously we still have (laughs) half a year to go. No more movies this year can be good. But that, that (laughs) gives a good indication of how great this film is. It has so much quality and thoughtfulness placed into it. And I found myself thinking about, it has been so long. It's been over 30 years. 36. 36 years, okay, Mm. since the first film had come out. And I remember us being kids when that that film hit the theater. And our father, our dad, was just this huge fan. I mean, like, I think, like, every guy back in 1986 or whenever it was that it came out, 
they were just this huge family. I remember the, like the whole flight leather jacket style came back in vogue. I had a friend in like second grade who like wore his hair like Tom Cruise did. And I had the same leather jacket. I had, I mean, what, what was I like? I was born, I was five when the movie came out, right? But, and I forgot what year we were, what year I was when, I, when the movie was out on VHS. Yeah. But I remember seeing it very young. You were probably like, I don't know, you're like six years old or something. Probably. Typically they come out a year later, back at least back then. Nowadays it's like, oh yeah, a couple months later and it's available. Yeah, really. No, literally three months later it's available. Anyhow, I thought Maverick was the coolest guy. Like I remember when yes. when my our parents took us to the they were taking us to the beach and we went to like the local convenience store to buy sunglasses. I'm like, yeah, I'll buy some sunglasses. Sure. And I went straight towards the aviators because of Top Gun and Maverick. So you saw this little six-year-old with aviators. <laughs> I didn't care. Like I that was cool to me. Sure. Because, like like that movie, Maverick. Like kind of spoke to me of this is what cool is. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I cut you off. No, no, you're totally good. And when I think about it, like there, there's, there's so much that I want to be able to cover with you because I feel as though I, I've been able to, to narrow down a lot of why I think people who have seen the sequel think it's such a, a great film. And so before we actually get into that portion, I just want to let everybody know that there are spoilers ahead. So if you haven't seen the film, you might want to pause us. Otherwise, let us continue. So I made a list. You always stuff on here, Steve. make a list, Ross. Why uh, am I not surprised? I, I wanted to be able to share uh, a number of things. Bullet points. Good old-fashioned bullet points here, Steve. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about was actually how the film is successful in addressing kind of like the main story conflicts. Hmm. Like if you think of like, like, like when any given story that you read or that you watch a movie or a TV show, mostly like in movies um, and in, 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 in books as well, you have kind of like the, the, like the six main conflicts, right? You have man versus man, man versus self, man versus fate, man versus society, man versus environment and man versus what is it? I had it written down. I thought, I thought I could, or nature. And so I think that's, you know, I, I wanted to begin there just because you have um, such easily digestible examples of all six of these throughout the film. You know, you have man versus man, right? So you have Maverick and Rooster, you know, clearly bunning heads that have that complicated history because of Rooster's father, Goose, and how they have to try and overcome that conflict that lasts throughout the entire movie. You have man versus self, which is Maverick, right? Like Maverick has always um, been kind of a conundrum in a way because his greatest strength of kind of playing by his own rules is also his Achilles heel, right? Like, like he's uh, that, that is his flaw. That is, that is his drawback. And so he's always having to, um, live with like his consequences of his actions and that sort of thing. But also too, in this film, it goes beyond that. And it shows like how he's at conflict with himself, with how to be able to make sure this mission is a success simply because he already has the baggage and the guilt of being responsible for killing his best friend goose. And so, you know, he doesn't want to have to relive that with goose's son or anyone else in there. You know, when you think of like man versus society, I think it's so neat when you watch this film because 
you see someone like Maverick, whose heyday was back in the 80s. You know, I think what's really a point of like resonation with men who are, who are like our age, for example, and even like our, our dad's age, right? The, the, the early to mid eighties, that was kind of like their heyday. We were kids at the time, but still, I think it was really interesting in this film, how, you know, his kind of his, his time being in the limelight and that sort of thing, um, has largely gone away. And he is now in the company of the, the new generation of Top Gun aviators and how certain types of like, you know, uh, social customs or, or fun little like hijinks that you do, while some remain the same, others have actually um, evolved and changed from sure. his time. So there is that kind of conflict that's going on. When you think of man versus nature, I mean, there, there are instances where every time he steps into a jet, it's the terrain, isn't it? I mean, it's like he has to constantly be aware of his surroundings and, and, and playing evasive action. And that, that really, I think, seeps into all of the audience's minds as you go about it. Because you're, I mean, you're in your seat and you're like, look out for that mountain or like, don't get down to the hard deck or, you know, don't look out for the water, you know, or whatever it is. Um, and so you, you have that not only with Maverick, but you also have it with everyone else who's an aviator in um, the uh, the movie. And then you also have uh, man versus environment, in which case, you know, I, I wrote down some, some notes on this about how the environment doesn't necessarily have to be like a, a earth-based environment. You know, in Maverick's case, the Navy is an environment, right? He has been someone who has a history of dis, uh, I think they call it like either distinction or like he he's been distinguished multiple times uh, throughout his career. However, he's always kind of been the outsider. He's always kind of been at odds with like how the rank and file works within the Navy itself. And so like, you know, we watched that scene with Ed Harris and he talks about how like he should at least be a two-star Admiral by now based off of, of his, uh, career history, but that he keeps making certain decisions that cost him advancement in his career. But that's okay because Maverick doesn't want to advance his happy place. His passion is to remain Captain Mitchell. So it's really interesting, like, you know, going down all these and, you know, last but not least is man versus fate, right? In this type of hero's journey story, you know, I think Maverick is also always wrestling around with what what is he destined to do you know he knows that he loves being in a jet he loves dogfighting he loves taking risks that sort of thing loves playing by his own rules but ultimately he is so like just he doesn't know what the future holds for him like what what is what is his purpose for being here and when you see that kind of play out in this movie where that is a bit of a vulnerable area for him that was a lot, Russ. I like to give you a nice big deli sandwich to chew on mentally, Steve. Yeah, Russ. I don't think I got that deep with the movie. Um, uh, had I mean, too I much can... buttered popcorn, did you, Steve? Yeah. Well, I don't think people got that deep in the first one either. I mean, all that makes sense, <laughs> Russ. I mean, I, don't get me wrong. It all makes sense, but... Um... Impressive, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, so 
yeah, it all makes sense. I mean, all the lines that they're saying about how, you know, he hasn't really evolved really into anything except for like this ace pilot, right? And and so we we all don't really care because what's fun about seeing Maverick in an admiral position? That's not fun for us as an audience, nor is it really good for the story, really, because, yeah, we, okay, in real life, yeah, that would be what would, you know, it, if he was going to be a captain and that's his career in the Navy, uh, you know, he would want to get more money and he would want to advance himself and whatever, whatnot. But for us, that's not necessarily entertaining. Mm. What's entertaining for us is Maverick creating drama, being the rebel, doing his own thing, being one with the machine, uh, you know, being this good looking hot shot guy. Mm. And uh, of course, doing a bunch of fancy flying, right? Uh, That's sure. what's going to sell movie tickets and popcorn, as you put it, Russ. Uh-huh. Um, and I think that's what, you know, of course, you. that's that's like the surface level of, of what people I think are going to expect when they go to a Top Gun movie. Yes. It is interesting to think about how Tom Cruise has really done extremely well in his career by it's almost like, like, like taking this similar or, or same persona, right? Like, like he excels really well at like that hero's journey, that classic kind of storyline. You know, if you put it in days of thunder or you put it in top gun or you put it in mission impossible or, you, you know, Put it in like all these different types of films that he has um, been in with a few exceptions. But what I think is very interesting is how when you see Tom Cruise on screen, the men want to look like him, act like him, be like him. And the women just want him like, like, like they, they're attracted to him. They want to, they want a guy, very Austin powers, uh, kind of, sort of, kind of, sort of, but I do think it is interesting how there is that dynamic. Cause typically like you'll have someone and it'll like, they'll mainly appeal to like one of the two sexes, right? Like you'll have someone and, and they're like, Oh yeah, the women will like, f- like fall over themselves. Oh, he's so hot. And the guys are like, eh, whatever it's actually kind of a rarity to have both sides um, really be enamored with a particular celebrity, but for mostly different reasons. But I just think it's kind of interesting how he always exudes that. Every time you see the movie, it's like, by the end of it, it's like, man, like, I wish I was like buddies with that character or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. You know, (laughs) when when the movie first started, Russ, Uh I thought I was in the wrong movie. I thought they were like, it, I mean, I you see Tom give you like, the, hey, I'm proud of making this movie. Thanks for buying a ticket. You know, this is really cool. And I thought that was awesome. I mean, wow. Okay, cool. I don't see He's that. He's looking for, older, by the way. Dude, from the last Mission Impossible to this movie, you notice his age. And I think I think that particular part you're talking about, the very beginning where, where he's thanking the, the audience for watching the movie, which I agree. I, I think that, that was really cool of him to do that. I think that was filmed right before it came out in the theaters versus the actual movie itself, which right. was filmed like two or three years ago. Um, but later in the movie, you hear the original soundtrack, yes. right? After that, and I got goosebumps just I sitting did there. Too. I'm like, I mean, I, I watched the movie, the first one, right before I watched this one. So, I mean, I heard everything. I saw, I mean, from start to finish, I watched the whole thing. Yeah. And so then... So they're on my aircraft carrier. I'm like, I'm like, this either the words come up like, hey, you know what? This was who the school was designed. Blah blah. I'm like, this was on the first. What is going on here? 
And then they then they're on the airbase and same like sunrise and but you see F-35s and F-A-18s and I'm like, yes! Yes! Yeah. Yes! Um, man, that was so awesome. I was just like in my chair like this. This person next to me is like, yeah, you like that? <laughs> cool. Yeah, I like it too. <laughs> it's true. I think that they were very wise to actually do kind of a, a part two of the intro credit simply because that was one of the most memorable parts oh, of the first film was like, man, I mean, I remember when we were kids and our dad bought the movie on VHS, we would rewind just the intro over and over and over yeah. again, just because we love Kenny Loggins danger zone song. And also the, the footage and the way it was edited to the song itself it was perfect. I mean, you, you you just you couldn't help yourself but get amped up and want to be able to become an aviator yourself. Yeah, it was funny. I so we we left the theater right after the beginning. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> he was so yeah. st- stoked. He just <laughs> left after that. He's like, oh, I'm so I'm yeah, good. I'm good. I'm just going. Oh, that's fine. That's all I wanted to see. <laughs> uh, so we go home and we're all like just smiles and, and whatnot. And, we uh, all go home, take our shirts off, and play some volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh! Um, <laughs> actually, I had that song in my head when I when <laughs> was writing. Walk away. That scene in the first movie made no sense. Like they're all at odds. They didn't like. I don't know. They're bonking heads the entire film, and they're like, "Let's just take off our shirts and play volleyball." So I'm like, Let's blow some steam and play some volleyball. <laughs> Shirtless. <laughs> I'm going to wear sweatpants yeah. on the beach. And I'm going to flex <laughs> for all of you other dudes. <laughs> Eddie. <laughs> My cheeks. <laughs> oh, gosh. What was I even saying? Uh, uh, the, <laughs> you're talking about the... Oh, the be- inch, okay, beginning. Okay, yeah, no. So we go home. And then, and so I had to show my mother-in-law. I was, I was like, you got to watch the first one. And she's like, okay, like, sure, whatever. And so it's like 10 o'clock at night, 1030. And I go home and it was like this back to the future, like Marty McFly, turning up all like the amp. I'm like, please don't blow up speakers, amp, everything. Please don't blow up. And so I, sh- I played the first scene for her and she was, she was, you know, pretty blown away. Um, and I showed her, you know, pictures of Val Kilmer and Val and, and, and Tom Cruise and everything. And she's like, oh, she's putting all the pieces together. Awesome, Russ. Good. Freaking awesome. Fantastic, Steve. Russ, mm. let me ask you something. I love it when you ask me questions, Steve. Were you satisfied with the uh, cast members who returned to this one? Or were there some faces that you missed and wanted to see come back? You know, I think that the ones, first of all, the mm. most important to me was Val Kilmer. Ah. Um, just because, well, first of all, Val Kilmer is a, fantastic actor, but also his character Iceman from the first film was so quintessential in terms of the, the main conflict within the, the movie with Maverick versus Iceman as they were going through the, the Top Gun training. And then you see them come full circle and so on and so forth. Um, and if you recall, um, I had watched the Val documentary right. last year. And so I was already aware of like, just what, what his, his physical condition was. And that was um, a question that I had lingering in my mind was, I didn't know if he was going to be in the sequel when I heard the sequel was being made. And so I was so thrilled that in fact he was there. And I got to say like, like I just, I, 
I think that was one of the the main types of relationships that I wanted to see continue on. And honestly, I loved what they did in this film yeah. with that, where we, you know, we were just talking about how Maverick never ascended to like an admiral position, right? Because he played by his own rules. Whereas Iceman was very much a by rule. Fault. Yeah. He's yeah. by the book rule follower. And as a result, he did in fact ascend to some sort of like high level. I can't remember if he was an admiral himself or a commander or something like that. But Anyway, there was the, the contrast that we saw between the two men. And I just, I don't think this film would have been the same had he not been I in know. it. And the way that, that he was cast in the film also just added a lot of gravity to Maverick's own character development and also like, like his, what kind of journey he's taking. Right. So I, I did really like, like that. Um, Honestly, I really loved having Jennifer Connelly in yeah. a Top Gun film. I think that she fit perfectly. I think that when it comes to um, like some kind of love interest or you know having a past, Maverick is in the the military, right? He's part of the Navy. He's gonna have multiple girlfriends. Everything. You know, it wasn't like he got married to the the character right. um, Charlie or whatever her name was uh, from the um, the first film. But I just think her her look and how she carries herself and everything just just really fits Top Gun uh, beautifully. And I gotta say, like as a side note, I absolutely loved seeing. Like actually, my wife and I were talking about this. I loved seeing how she has aged so gracefully. Like like you know, there's certain close ups of her face, and you could see like some of the lines around her eyes and, and the whatnot. Hands too. Yeah, a little bit in the hands and whatnot. But like, I mean, she is just she has always been so beautiful. She's been this beautiful lady her entire career. I mean, I remember seeing her in the Rocketeer, Rocketeer. and it was just like, my goodness, like she is gorgeous. She's yeah. so beautiful. Even I don't even know how old she is now, but she's still just stunningly beautiful. And I love how, I don't know, like I found myself thinking about different types of actors that have been around pretty much like, you know, our entire lives where like right. where we go to the cinemas and we see these larger than life personalities on screen. But then after a while, they start, you know, Hollywood started to kind of phase them out and we got kind of a, a, like a, a next generation of actors. And, and, you know, that that's all fine. You know, there, there are, are good actors everywhere, but like, I just feel as though that particular generation just had so many just like top shelf performers. <laughs> you know what I mean? All at once. Yeah. yeah. Now I, I agree with what they did. Um, I was, I was doing some, some digging and I found that Val Kilmer had, he wasn't asked to be on the show or that season, uh, but the movie, <laughs> he wasn't asked to be on the movie. And he had to ask himself, like, hey, you know, I, I heard you guys are making this. I'd love to be a part of it. And they, then they decided to keep the, to bring him on. But that wasn't part of the first formula. I See, <clears throat> I heard it differently. <clears throat> oh, I, really? I read about how Tom Cruise was the one who actually said, if we're going to do a sequel, Val Kilmer has to be in it. If he if Val Kilmer is not in it, then we're not doing the movie. Wow, I didn't read that one. Yeah. Well, I I so I read it in the Daily Mail. I don't know that they're interesting, weird. Anyhow, so then I we was, need to get to the bottom <laughs> <of this> story. <laughs> Look at this. So I was thinking, okay, well, what about Tim Robbins and what about like Tom Skerritt, right? Merlin yeah. and, and Viper. And then I thought, well, mm, well, like, well, Viper, I think passed away, or is he, he still alive? He's, he's eighty eight. 
He's still alive. Still alive. Oh, good yeah. for him. And then Jester, the, 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 I can't remember his name, but the person uh, who played Jester. Michael Ironside. That's there, right. So I guess he had a falling out with uh, Bruckheimer. Oh. And so that's why he wasn't asked to come back. Meg mm. Ryan, um, she like just totally, I'm done with Hollywood sort of thing. She got get burnt out. And yeah. so she didn't, you know, she wasn't asked back, but they didn't really. I always liked Meg Ryan too. <laughs> yeah. She was, again, she's part of that same Hollywood generation. That's just, you couldn't help but love her. Right. And then the actress who played Charlie, which was a love interest. Mm-hmm. She is Kelly McGinnis. Kelly McGinnis. Yes. Thank you. That's so, why I'm here. She basically is done with Hollywood too. Yeah. She so is. she she teaches acting, but she's like she's not. She'll like making a cameo or something, but that's like the most of it. But I'm kind of glad that they didn't use her in a way because like the if you think back to the relationship of the first movie, that was so like shallow. Like it on one day, like oh she just wanted to use Maverick for information on his flight experience with like the MIG. And that's all she really wanted from him. And he's like, Hey, I think you're hot. I want something more. And she's like, yeah, okay. I'll give you more. If you give me information well, get to know you better. Yeah. Right. And then like all of a sudden in a day, she's like, I'm in love with you. I don't know. It was just kind of very, and I was not believable, but this one I thought was believable. There's definitely, yeah. In, in the first Top Gun, you have, her character, which works for the government, she is definitely uh, career driven. Sure. And she's definitely using him for most of the movie. I do think yeah. that she did use me, baby. I think she did form feelings for him toward the, like the last <laughs> third of the film. But yeah, I think, I think in terms of that, it's, it's again, it's, it was not like a, a romance that, you know, you watch and like, you know, it's not like the notebook romance or anything. <laughs> you know, it, it was a fling. It was like, you know, sure. They're both young. They're, you know, they're, they're feeling their oats and they, they want to hook up and you know, it's like the whole, you know, whatever. But, th- but what's different is that in this film, we have Jennifer Connelly's character coming in where um, clearly there's some kind of past with both her and Maverick, which is great. It's great. You know, you, some old flame or whatever. And I love, you know, I loved her character name, Penny and how, um, you know, she was able to, to, to mess with him, you know, in her own fun way. And sure. that's, that's kind of the, the interesting thing. I, so, so to basically to answer your question, I, if I had to like think about it, probably Meg Ryan would be like the one person that it would have been nice to have seen like some kind of cameo with, but ultimately I don't think she would have really added to right. a lot of the more, um, deeper themes that they were exploring with this film. Right. I do want to talk about um, the differences, though, between the aviators from the first Top Gun and the second Top Gun. Okay. If you think about it, in the first Top Gun film, mm-hmm. you know, you, you're introduced to, like, Hollywood and Wolfman, yeah. Iceman. Um, Got Hollywood and Wolfman on Alert 5! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Maverick and Goose, uh, Merlin... I can't remember off the top of my head who the, the one pilot was that got Cougar. Sh- uh, Cougar thank you. Yeah. Cougar lost it, turned in his wings. That's right. That's you right. guys are number one. The thing about it, like, like when you analyze all of those characters, you know, it, it, oh, they definitely boy. had kind of like that jockey type of sure. persona, right? Mm. Very cocky, but it was 
to a certain degree, it was like this like fun loving cockiness, like like, like like a lovable cockiness, right? Like, dude, you are so arrogant. You know, by the same time, like they didn't take themselves too seriously. There was there was a terrific type of banter that was going on all the time. You know, they were ripping on each other and and causing jokes and stuff. But at the end of the day, they were all on the same team. Right. What I think is interesting if I look at the 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 um the next generation of aviators in the second film, I find that they're all vapid. They are like they're none of them with, I would say the exception of rooster. And that's because, you know, they really made a point to like flesh Flesh out the, the character development for rooster. But if you look at all of the different aviators in there, I don't, I mean, you know, I, I kind of sort of remember some of the call signs like hangman, uh, Phoenix. Right. But like, I don't fanboy fanboy. Yeah. Bob. Um, (laughs) but like the thing is, is that, they didn't take the time to be able to make them also likable characters. And I think that was kind of the, the main difference I saw between the two films where in the first film, you know, we barely got to see like Hollywood and Wolfman, but I thought they were so fun. They were such cool dudes. And like, you know, and you'd saw them like, like little bits and pieces throughout the movie. Like, you know, I think it's, uh, uh, Wolfman or whatever who's in the locker room when Maverick decided he was going to like, you know, wash out or whatever. And he's the one who makes the call and stuff. And, you know, or, or like them talking while they're up in the, the sky. I don't know. For some reason, and maybe it's a generational thing, you know, maybe like because I was a kid in the 80s, the way that they carried themselves and the style of banter and that sort of thing is just something that I grew up with. And so it resonates with me more. But like, it just seemed like, the cockiness that was in the sequel was just cocky for the sake of being cocky. It wasn't, right. it was not an appealing cocky. It was just, you're kind of a jerk. It wasn't cocky. They were just cocks. Right? <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but it's true. Like the, the, the amount of time that like Hollywood and Wolfman were on screen, even though it was small, it was funny. Or like somebody said something to them like, Stink. You know, after he was like telling him how much he crashed and burned trying to ask that was the girl slider. Out. That was slider. That, that, that was Iceman's wingman. That's right. Where so, like he was talking to his love interest and he's like, right. oh, crash and burn. Oh, or <laughs> <laughs> I've seen the movie a few times. Or when they're in the, uh, you know, when they're learning about the MIG or something and and uh, there, there was like this established professionalism that they're hearing the instructors speak and they're not like cutting up because like, yeah, I'm better than you. No. <laughs> you know, sort of thing. And, and, and yes, and this one, I mean, Maverick is the professor and this is still a military disciplined environment. And yes, like cockiness may be good for the movies, but you could still do that and still hold the line for that professionalism and, and discipline. I think that would be a little more expected. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's what they did with the first one. Um, cause Maverick was the one was cutting up mostly not Iceman, not Slider, not Hollywood, not Wolfman. They were all kind of joining in like, you know, whisper, whisper, like, you know, nice job. Well, like, you know, if you think about when they realized that the woman that Maverick was hitting on at the bar the night before is actually going to be like his right. superior officer, there was a lot of, of flirty banter that was going on and Goose was playing in on it. Sure. That, that's where the whole like, well, cause I was a wee, 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 wee goose. I'm sorry, goose. <laughs> We <laughs> thank you. Uh, you know, or like, I mean, even um, Iceman at one point, you know, he does the whole coughing BS thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
so yeah, the, again, there was there was just there was a playful cockiness, right? That I, that's the best way I can describe it. That I felt was lacking in in this particular film, which I think also kind of speaks a bit to this current generation in terms of how they view themselves, how they carry themselves. I would be curious to talk to say um, some of the millennial generation to find out, Hey, what did you think of these new characters? Were you enamored by them? Did you think that they were uh, more accessible than the ones from the first film? I got an idea. Leave it in the comments. That's a great idea, Steve. Great idea. You know, one thing about rooster though, Russ, in the first movie, the kids like five, maybe four. He's young. Like yep. He's just barely even talking. He's just like sitting on the piano with his dad. He's playing like little great balls of fire. Little blonde toehead. Yeah, cute right? kid. So he's very, very young. And I mean, I don't know if this movie like is supposed to happen today. I mean, it's modern because they have F-35s in the beginning yeah, of the movie. Yeah, it's supposed to be current. Modern, so yeah. like if that's the case, Rooster is supposed to be like 40-ish. If you recall, actually, mm. one of the, the things that Rooster has against Maverick is that Maverick held him back. Remember how he talked about how he held him back for four yes. years? Right. And if you notice, Rooster, when you look when you compare Rooster to the rest of the aviators, he looks older. Yeah, I think that was the mustache. I don't know. Dude, he his whole body, <laughs> I mean, he just he he looked like he was a bit older than the rest of them. But th- I think the way they played it was like, he's a 20 something, just like Maverick was like a 20 something from the first movie. Just like the rest of the aviators were supposed to be very young. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of wanted, I guess what I'm trying to get as I, I wanted to see like if, if that was the case, I mean, maybe it was just movie magic though. Okay. You know, this, this is what we're going to go with because it's the greatest, greatest story uh, for this kind of circumstance. But otherwise, I would have liked to have seen, okay, you know, maybe he being Rooster joining the the younger hotshots. Yeah, he's a little bit older guy because of Maverick. And then they would have showed us, like, this is what happened in history, not just something that we just tell you real quick and then move on. Yeah. Yeah. I would like to pivot from what we're talking about into why I think this film has been resonating with the people who have gone and seen it. Because even before I saw it, I was looking on social media and... You know, the, the, the kind of the, the general consensus that people say is like, this this film is great. This is a great film. Um, some people are going so far as to say, like, this is the best film they've seen in years. Yeah. And so I was, after I saw the movie, I was, first of all, I was very elated. You know, it was it was just a, a I assume you had the same kind of feeling when you left the theater. You're just like, man, that was like such a great movie. Yeah. Um, and so I made a list of, of why I think it, it resonates. First of all, it's a, it's patriotism. You have sure a lot of patriotism throughout the film. We haven't really had a movie that shows that unabashedly. Right. And I think that that there there are just a lot of people and especially in America, you have a lot of Americans that just really I mean they love that like pro-America, pro-military patriotism type of, of film. So I think that, that that's one of the things. <clears throat> I think too that this film explores the theme of guilt really well. I mean, you look at Maverick and how he has been shouldering this guilt for all of these years about the death of, of his wingman. You know, he's been able to move on to a certain extent, but he still he still feels responsible. He still feels like like he's doing everything he can to watch out for Goose's family and his son. And, you know, you can see like how some of that has transpired and whatnot. 
there is also, you know, with guilt, there also the theme of redemption. There's there, you know, and this happened in, in the first Top Gun movie as well. They are able to execute on this theme so well because there are different facets of humility and maturing and that sort of thing that come into play both in the first film and in this one, I think we're really, really well. Um, also mortality, you know, when, sure. when, when you think about being in a position that like, like you, if you're in the air force and you are flying an FA 18 or F 22 Raptor F 14 Tomcat, whatever it may be, you know, your mortality is really placed at the forefront um, even like, well, as me as a viewer, I'm not even flying a jet, but, but that was really present throughout the entire thing. And, you know, when you are faced with one's own mortality, you, you really have certain elements of life come into a very sharp focus. And so I think people really appreciate that because especially when it comes to like, you know, a lot of these tough guy, playboy, whatever you want to call them types, that is always kind of the, the, the ultimate de facto, um, recalibration if you will for them i also have written down here um camaraderie you know it's very much a buddy film i wouldn't say so much as the first film the first one was way more of a buddy film but you still have elements of that and especially when it comes to the military where you, where trust is a huge factor you have to trust the people who are by your side shoulder to shoulder you know, in this film, they're going through training. They already knew each other from previous stints and that sort of thing. But again, even when, when you are training for specific missions, there has to be that level of camaraderie to be able to basically win the mission, so to speak. And I think that resonates with a lot of the movie going uh, folks. They, they like to see that unity. Um, <clears throat> reflection is another theme that I saw throughout the film. And Maverick does a ton of reflecting. Sure. You, you know, um, and, and I will get to in just a minute um, some of uh, our favorite memorable scenes from the film. But there are several instances where something triggers his memories from back when he was younger and, and uh, or maybe like some of the choices he made that has affected his life or affected where he's at in his career, that sort of thing. What person doesn't do that in their own lives? You know, we always are assessing did we make the right choice? Did we not make the right choice? You know, like, you know, could I have been in a different place in life had I made certain different decisions? So there's, you know, reflection is something that everybody can get behind and, and understand. Destiny, another one, it, it kind of ties in with, with reflection, you know, because once you start reflecting, then you start thinking about your future. You know, you think about your past, your present, and then you think about, well, what is my destiny exactly, right? And especially when it comes to, to uh, folks who perhaps are more middle-aged, you know, as someone who's in their, their early 40s, that is something that I, I have become more in tune with as I get older. Is like, you know, what, what exactly um, does my destiny entail? Because, you know, my life is basically half over at this point. You know, you start <laughs> thinking like that and it's not to be morbid, but like, you know, it's something that everyone has to come to terms with. What have I done with the time that has been given to me? <laughs> yes. Gandalf. <clears throat> How you doing? Indeed. Indeed. And as I mentioned, you know, when people think of the past, when, when it comes to reflecting on things, that also has to do with legacy. You know, legacy is interesting because... It is based around this principle of what it is that you leave behind when you die. So it's kind of like the summation of 
what you've what, what your your acts of the past, present, and future will leave behind. And especially when people, as they get older, um, that is also something else that they become more increasingly kind of more in touch with is like, well, what kind of legacy will I leave? And it doesn't have to be like some royal legacy or whatever. Like, oh, yes, they will make erect statues of me. And it has not so much to do with that as it has to do with, have I lived my life to its fullest potential? Have I been able to do it in such a way where when I'm on my deathbed and I look back, I can be pleased with all the things that I've done with my life, not just some of it. And then I also have... Um, finally, just the fact that like it's a nostalgia for the 80s because there are certain types of 80s sensibilities that are throughout. There's, you know, there's a sprinkle throughout the movie. And I think we just really haven't had a movie like that in some time. So when you when you combine all of those things I've just listed together, I really think that those are the ingredients of, of why this movie is so great. Would you agree? Yes, I would. I don't know. I mean, that's again. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of stuff for us. We could go three hours for, for a Top Gun here. Yeah, I'm um, making you eat your lima beans on this one, Steve. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think that, um, and partly it, it's, it really has to do with consequence because oh, I mean, yeah. Maverick was uh, this this rebel. You know, I mean, I'm breaking all the federal aviation rules and getting away with it sort of thing because I can because I'm in pro. But then, you know, how much of that was actually going to follow him and... You know, he, uh, Goose's family and the first movie was his only family. He's like, got no one else. His dad's dead. It's, you know, he died as a pilot. His wife, Maverick, followed in his footsteps. His mom's dead, had no siblings. And so uh, he became this father figure for Rooster. But he kind of failed at that because there wasn't really any, like, that much chemistry between them or affection or anything. So he was either absent or they just knocked heads so much throughout his entire life. I just, I, anyway, so he's got nobody, right? Couldn't hold a relationship either. And now he's in his fifties and, and like, he's the same guy, but he's a test pilot. And when all of his comrades have like moved on to be, you know, bigger and better. And even that scene in the bar where he goes like, okay, yeah, I got to pay for everybody's drink. Okay. That, that tab would have been like maybe a few hundred bucks, but it's not like $10,000. And he goes, okay, put it on my credit card and his credit cards decline. So he hadn't even figured out like credit or saving money or like he, he doesn't have anything. He has vices. He has vices. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, I, I mean, and I think, you know, the, the, the team building scene on the beach when they're all playing football, he has to go sit down because he's an older guy now. Yeah. And it, it, the movie recognizes that. You see it in Tom's face. We all get old. We all age. It, it is what it is. It's nothing to say for, for anybody else. But he realizes he can't keep up with the younger guys. And he goes to sit down and he can look at them and still smile and be like, I was that guy one day. Yeah. You know, and. Would you um, say that would be? reflecting Steve on his would be Russ mortality. Steve would be Russ. And, uh, you know, towards the end of the film, you know, of course he's, he's trying to sacrifice himself anyway, so that, you know, goose can, can live on but he's lived his goose or Uh, rooster rooster, Russ birds of a feather (laughs) fly together. Uh, aviation together, aviate together. Anyhow, so yes, uh, I mean you 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 put some some mood. Oh, you know what else too? But the whole patriotism thing. Yes, I think I think there's a lot of movies. America, um, America, <laughs> yeah, America, America. 
Merk. Captain America. Merk. Merk. <laughs> um, I think there's a lot of, I think Hollywood puts out a lot of movies that show that either the military is um, like crazy violent, which kind of is when time comes. <laughs> um, yeah, it's kind of its sole purpose. Yeah. <laughs> or they're like, they have a lot of mental health issues, which granted some of them do. Some of them don't though. Like they all don't come home with PTSD. Some of them do, granted. Um, but a lot of people in the military are very strong. Oh, and yeah. like that's the career for them. Like they were built to to lead. They were built to like just push forward in the in the most in the harshest of circumstances. Born and bred. <laughs> America. Anyway, uh <laughs> so I, I think that's nice. America. Say it, Steve. Say it. America. Uh, there we go. Um, I think it's not. That's nice to see on screen too. Like, if you want to see it, you know, the, the military be strong. That is wonderful to see on screen. And of course, they're going to be fit and they're going to be good looking too. And I guess you know what? By golly, it's going to go to their head, and maybe they're going to be a little bit cocky. And remind me in perpetuity of how utterly uh, out of shape I am. Yeah, Russ, go to boot camp, will you? Yeah. <laughs> I come back. I'm like, say it was the right time. <laughs> You're gonna have to like play the song because if people haven't seen the first one, they're gonna be like, "What song is that?" I don't oh. know. That was Kenny Loggins, though. I think still was it. Yeah, Kenny Loggins playing that one as well as Danger Zone. Yeah, man. Good old Kenny. Is he still alive, Russ? He is. He, I saw an interview with him uh, during the premiere of this film. Yeah, I know. He's still, he's still kicking. Mm. So good for him. Yes. Mm -hmm. And they used a lot of flying, Russ. So like all the, all the scenes, like there, I mean, there may have been a sprinkle of CG possible. Who knows though? But all the flying shots. No, I th oh it's all legit. Gosh. Well, I think there's probably like maybe during like the explosions or something like that. Maybe yeah. Like, but the actual flying itself is real. It's all legit. But uh, this movie really made you feel like you are part of the cockpit, you know? Totally. Like in the first movie, it was just like Maverick's face or like his eyes really with the the, the Maverick, you know, striped helmet. And yeah. that's all you really saw. But now the cameras are all over the cockpit and you're seeing, and, and they're outside the plane too. So you'll see Tom Cruise's face and then he flies the plane away. Yeah. Craziness insane let's talk about memorable scenes from the movie i think that this will be a lot of fun at least okay. i think so all right man. uh on my list here um the first one i've listed is is maverick watching rooster sing great balls of fire uh -huh. while he plays the piano you know this was to me a very memorable scene because it instantly transported the audience back to 1986 where Maverick was having a great time with his best friend goose as he was playing uh, great balls of fire on the piano with sure. his wife and family, that sort of thing. Um, and so that there's like this duality that's going on where like, it's such a, a fun, positive memory, but at the same time, it's a very painful it's memory for Maverick. So yeah. you see him and not only that, but like at this point he's been kicked out of the bar, he's outside, but he hears and he looks in and he sees Rooster, who is the spinning image of his best friend, just you know, with the same type of glasses on, playing at the uh, at the piano, and how um, it was such a, a powerful moment in the film 
because once again, it shows that, I mean, Maverick is not invincible, right? Like he, he knows that he bears responsibility. And like you were saying earlier, you know, there are consequences to various types of reckless behavior. So that was something that I thought was memorable. Did you, did you think so as well? I did. <clears throat> did you want to add anything? To you that? know, one thing, I, not necessarily to that, but to your list, there's certain things that the movie did that where they, they just basically gave the fans what the fans wanted to see. Which also, like, they didn't overdo it. Like, they just didn't rehash the entire first movie. They no. just, like, say, hey, it's a sequel, you know? Uh, <laughs> but there were things that us as fans wanted to see, and they gave it to us. Which is, like, that's why I, I'm, I was excited about the film in the first place, and that's why I pre-purchased my ticket ahead of time, is because this is the type of stuff I wanted to see. I wanted to see, like, you know, the, the beginning of the movie that was very reminiscent of the first film. Sure. I wanted to hear, like... Uh, uh, tidbits of the original soundtrack run through the Hans Zimmer machine and then like, you know, throw that back at to me and in the theater because I never saw this t- original movie in the theater. I saw it on VHS on a 20-inch screen, crying out loud. Mm-hmm. And so they would give that back to us, right? They gave us Iceman back. Like I, I give two jacks that, that that the guy is older and he has he has health issues. I, I, I can care... Well, I, I do care about his health issues, but I mean, like, <laughs> I, you know, he he showed up, he he was on screen, and like that was so rewarding for me as a fan. I mean, it wouldn't have been the same movie if Iceman wasn't there, uh, and I was grateful that that whoever's choice it was, if it was Bruckheimer's or it was Tom's or it was I or uh, Val Kilmer, like, thank you for giving me that scene. That scene to me was just so important, and it, it um, I mean, I was kind of getting a little, it wasn't really a sad scene, but I was getting a bit misty-eyed because I know of his circumstance, and I was explaining to my wife and, and my mother-in-law, like, 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 that's not acting, like, he's acting on screen, but he really has those conditions, and so just the fact that he was on camera mm-hmm. and showed up because he knew how important his character was and how important it was to the fans that he was there, to me, that meant a lot. Like, that move, the movie scored some extra points, just for the little like five, ten minutes or whatever he was on screen. That what to me was was golden. I do think it's worth pointing out that there are uh, aspects to the film that is pure fan service. But I also think that there are other things that we, like what you're describing with that other scene with Iceman as yeah, while it is fan service in terms of people of fans wanting to see Iceman, it 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 wasn't like a superfluous or shallow right. type it of, of engagement. Well. They were very thoughtful with, okay, how do, how do we show this character 36 years later? Right. And I, as opposed to like, you know, if you watch the intro, which is totally fan service of a montage of, of, of jets taking off and landing on the aircraft carrier that has more of, you know, a shallow, but in a positive way, what I would call fan service, like, yo, they're, let's, let's do some more of that. So I think that that's really cool is that they were very mindful of, okay, we know we want to have fan service to a certain extent in these different capacities. How do we do it in a thoughtful way that adds more meat and potatoes to the story? Sure. And I think they were very successful on that. Yeah. Well, and actually you, you uh, mentioned the next thing that was on my list in terms of, of memorable scenes, which is Maverick going to visit ice you know, there was like this wonderful lead up that was occurring where he would be texting Iceman on his phone. We haven't actually seen him yet, but we, uh, you know, we start to learn about how Iceman is kind of like 
Maverick's watchful protector, you know, like, like he should have been kicked out of the Navy so many times, but Iceman due to like his level of seniority has been able to, you know, uh, watch out for him and, and, uh, grease the wheels and that sort of thing. And then we get to, um, the scene where, where Maverick goes to visit him. I just thought that was pure movie making magic. Just primarily because of Val Kilmer's condition with his throat cancer. Uh, but also too, you know, both Val and Tom were these, these mega stars in the eighties and nineties. I mean, like, like they both were just making film after film and they were, they were just doing so well. And to see them now older, you know, like they're both, I mean, Tom Cruise is now like 59 years old. Yeah. 58, 59. Um, I don't know how old Val Kilmer is off the top of my head, but I assume he's probably roughly the same age. And so I love to see these, these giants uh, of Hollywood be able to share the scene together. And what's most important about this, it was well acted. Yeah. Like that was the crazy thing about it was like, yeah, like, you know, when you think of Top Gun, you think about, oh, this is an action buddy movie or whatever, you know, but there was, there was so much to that particular sequence and I felt like both Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer did such a, a masterful job of just performing that scene. I mean, yeah. like I got teary eyed and in, in, in just watching that whole thing take place well, and the emotion on Tom's face too. It's, yeah. He didn't hardly even have to say anything. It wasn't the lines really as, as the expression. Yeah. And it's surreal. Like it was so surreal to see the two of them on screen together in another Top Gun movie. Like, I think that's one of the craziest things is like at the end of the first Top Gun film, the last time we see them is when they're back on the aircraft carrier celebrating. And he's like, you, you can be my wingman anytime. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, Maverick's like, you are still dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you could be my wingman anytime. Yeah, you could be mine. <laughs> but like, you know, you hug, yeah. hug, hug. <laughs> bro embrace bro embrace <laughs> so that was the last time we saw them and they were both in their prime again they were both yeah. in their 20s and like you just look at me like my gosh like they were just like again at that point in time they were invincible right and you see how they're like they're just older now and both in reality but also just in cinema like you see this storyline i couldn't help but wonder about what could they have done had they made more Top Gun films over the decades? Yeah. Because the first film came out in 1986. They could have had one in 1996, 2006. I mean, it would have been cool to come back every t- like once every 10 years and like see what's up, what's going on, you know? Be able to pl- um, tell more of those stories. Um, but anyway, and I think it goes out saying that that, that yeah. was one of the best scenes. Yes, Russ. The beginning is also very memorable. I We've know, already I've talked sa- about know, the I'm beginning. Just saying, I'm just saying. Move on. I want to see it again. I'm sure you do. Um, uh, let's see. What else? Um, you know what's memorable for me? When he's uh, when he's trying to 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 break another um, mock limit, right? Yeah. And that that test plane, and and so he they get to like what was it Mach ten? Mm-hmm. And so. <laughs> I'm like, I'm sitting in my chair and I go, uh, and I know he's like, let's see if it goes a little more. I'm like, uh-huh. Like you're already there. <laughs> I'm like right there with him. 
It was, oh, but, but, it, but it was reckless. Like that, again, it was like, I'm right there with you. Like I was, I was doing the whole like, what if you went a little bit faster? <laughs> I, you know, you're already here. Just, but at the same time, like I knew within myself, if I was in his shoes, I would not push it because that's right. just me. Like I would just, I would keep it there. I'd be like, we've did it, you know? Yeah. And again, it goes back to what I mentioned earlier about how his greatest strength is also his greatest weakness. He can't help himself. Right. Right. And so like, Sometimes that saves him and other times it messes him up big time. Right. So, but <clears throat> continuing off that scene, one, one of the, um, he, there's a conversation that takes place. Uh, for, I actually forgot it was who it was with. Um, but it's basically, I think it was Ed Harris and he was basically saying, all you've done is basically prolong the inevitable, which is like a lot of these guys are not going to be pilots anymore because we're going to be flying these drones. Yeah. It's safer and probably a little bit cheaper and to fly the aircraft out there. We got we don't have to train anybody to fly an aircraft. We just have to sit in a pod, basically, and have these drones go out. And I thought, man, And then Skynet will melt us to the ground. Yeah, I thought of that, too. I'm like, mm, yeah, Skynet. Anyway, uh, <laughs> why are the planes coming back at us? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I kind of thought, you know, it, it's, it's sad in a way because these guys, ever since we've had... Um, air, um, uh, fighter jets or fighter planes, really. Um, we've had to have guys and gals um, learn how to be one with the machine and dance in the sky and, and be better than the other guy, right? Um, when you know the machine and its limits better than the handbook. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> I, to me, that that was like I, I, that whole conversation of like, you, you know, then it led, it led to the bar and they're like, yeah, I shot down a guy. I don't know, I cool sort of thing. Like, dude, in the last movie, everybody was was dogfighting and shooting down each other. <laughs> like that was like the thing to do. Now you got one guy, woohoo! You know. Um, anyway, that that to me kind of stood out as the reality of the like the, the the times that we're going into, which is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, it probably saves more more uh, soldiers' lives, but um, in a way, it's kind of kind of sucks because it's, it'd be cool to be an ace mm-hmm. of the actual machine, not like I'm controlling it from, you know, home base somewhere. Yeah. And there's a whole host of different concerns and different types of yeah. questions and stuff that goes with that. I also have under my list of memorable scenes, Maverick proving out the training itself. So like, you know, when, when um, <clears throat> his superior officer basically says you're fired, I'm going to take over from, from now on. He gets into an F-18. Basically steals it. Um, and we see him basically like go through the entire thing that, that everyone who was training for kept failing over and over and over and over again. And here you have someone who's in their 50s, who's their, their flight instructor, do it perfectly. And I think what was, what was so cool about that was it was a demonstration of will. You know, you have someone who has decided I'm going to do this. I know I can do this. You know, it, it's a mindset, you know, <clears throat> and I think it's, what's interesting is that humanity, generally speaking, always will struggle with trying to um, accomplish or achieve something that has never been achieved before. I'm not saying that, that people don't try for it, but what's interesting is that there's a new belief that occurs like once something is known to be achievable or reachable, right? And I think that that was something that, that was demonstrated in this particular film where you have Maverick who 
<clears throat> went through against orders. I mean, he like snuck into that jet and did it to prove out the model that yes, it can be done. You may think it's impossible that it can't be done. It can be done. And I think that that is also a reoccurring theme within the Top Gun franchise is how you have these um, gigantic obstacles, you know, the, the, the somewhat like unreachable odds of how on earth do you survive this? How do you achieve or, or, or accomplish the mission? Right. And I think that that's where a lot of the training of our military comes into play where it's like, they will groom these folks to, to, to just, you know, approach any kind of mission with the confidence that I will do it. I'm going to make it. And I think that that's, that's something that I think resonates with the, uh, the audience. Probably, Ross. I would have to say a mem- my, one of the later memorable moments for me was when they're flying. This is towards the end of the movie. Uh-huh. And they're in the F-14, and they're against that fifth generation, basically MiG-57, I think it was. It was like a, I think it may have been an SU-37. SU, uh, not a 37. Um, I believe it was a 57. Oh okay. yeah, not MiG. I was wrong in the MiG, but yes, SU-57. Uh, fifth generation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, the, and so Top Gun, or <laughs> Top Gun's on a plane, and he's flying it. <laughs> Top Gun's flying uh, Maverick. <laughs> <laughs> and they're on the F-14, which is old. And well, let, um, hold on. Let, let's pause right there. We got to see Tom Cruise, a.k.a. Maverick, step into a F-14 Tomcat yeah. once more. Oh, I'm so excited. I don't know about you, Steve, but I got goosebumps like you wouldn't believe when I stopped. I mean, that, like... I was not expecting yeah. them to get back into an F-14 after seeing all the other jets that he was flying. But to see that, like, well, that was fan service, and it was fan service well done, oh, as far as man. I'm concerned. And then Rooster's like, how do you guys use all these <laughs> dated things? How would you do it? You know, which I could see that. But again, they had to they had to kind of rely on um, their knowledge and their skill more so than the limited technology they had at the time. Anyhow. Sign be, of the times. Yes. But anyhow, so they're they're trying to get away. They're, they're they you know Maverick has shot all his last bullet. He's I think well at that point I think he was on his last bullet or last missile or something. Shot his load. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, blew his wad. Anyway, so anyway, so the other the enemy pilot does Maverick's. No hat trick basically, which is pull on the brake, but he doesn't. The fact that that like he manu- out maneuvers with the air brake, and you see this jet kind of, I would think, stall in the middle of the air. That was insane. Do some aerial acrobatics, and now he's behind him. I thought, good luck, guys. I, I think you're gonna die in this movie. I don't know. That was insane. Yeah, like seeing that, and and it really speaks to as time marches on and technology gets better and better and you see these newer aircraft be able to perform these, these feats, you're just like, how is that even possible? Like, yeah. I mean, I remember being at, <laughs> at air shows back when the F 22 Raptor was brand new right. and they had debuted it to the public and they were demonstrating different types of things. It could, the thing could basically hover in the air. I'm like, how is that even from just from a physics kinematics point of view like how is that even possible you have a a thing 
that weighs so much and yet it's able to like just basically just like, oh, hey, what's up? What's happening? You're just like, what? And I, I understand there are thrusters and all that other stuff. Yeah, I never got that far in math. <laughs> I never got that far in aeronautics. <laughs> they are marvels. It's it, it's it's insane to see this stuff. But yeah, that was actually one of the, like, I don't know. Like, I really also appreciated that scene too because it shows that some of the enemies that they will come across, you know, they're not just cannon fodder. Right. They're not like stormtroopers where they couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. <laughs> like you actually have, you know, you, you really do. You have competent aviators from different countries and that sort of thing. And they are threats. They're not just like these people who are like, oh, I have a different, you know, insignia on my jet. I guess I'm going to blow up now. <laughs> and, I, and I, so I love that scene where we see that. Golly, that was so neat to see that. Um, but at the same time, the F-14 Tomcat is one of my all-time favorite <laughs> jets. That is a handsome jet. I don't care how old that jet is. Every time I see it, it just has presence. It looks so cool. I love how the wings can like... Why are the wings know, doing that? I know. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good, like when he said that. But like, I just I loved how like you know that was one of the the unique aspects of the F fourteen was that they could have the wings fold in or they could have them come out regular. And I just love that jet. That jet. I used to have a toy. I had a, I used to have a GI Joe F fourteen Tomcat when I was a kid. Mm, I bet you did, Russ. Yes, you did. I remember it actually. Yeah, it was a big one. You ended up putting it in my closet because you couldn't fit them all in your closet. A handsome jet, right there, Steve. <sighs> Boy. Wowza. Um, so what I also have listed down here is uh, finally just buzzing the clock tower. Like when all was said and done, they got back to the aircraft carrier and for Maverick to be able to buzz the, the tower was just like, once again, fan service, like he had to do it. And it was so satisfying to yeah. see him do that. Um, I do have some IMDb stuff that I would like to cover really quick sure, before we give our final thoughts. Mm. First of all, <clears throat> The World War II P-51 Mustang scene yes. in this movie is actually Tom Cruise's own airplane. It's crazy. He is an accomplished uh, pilot in real life. Yes. According to Miles Teller, the cast got to choose their own call signs. He chose Rooster because it was in the same family as Goose. Mm. Val there you go. Val Kilmer reprised his role of Tom Iceman Kazansky. Despite his battle with throat cancer, Kilmer appears in one scene and the production used artificial intelligence technology to recreate his voice using old recordings. I thought he was just whispering. I did too. Interesting. Interessante. Hmm. The combat mission depicted in the movie takes place in Iran. Maverick steals and flies an F-14 to return to the aircraft carrier after his F-18 was shot down. The only other country besides the USA ever operating F-14 fighter jets is Iran. A total of 80 state-of-the-art F-14 planes were bought by Iran in uh, 1978 at a time when Iran was actually an ally of the United right. States. yeah. One year later, though, the Shah of Iran was ousted by the Ayatollah, which meant that suddenly the 80 F-14 fighter jets were now in the hands of an enemy state. <laughs> nice. <laughs> kind of funny how that happens. Um, but wasn't there snow? There was snow in the movie, though. Right? Yeah. That was snow in Iran, Russ. I don't care. You ain't no snow in Iran. Yes, there is. They, snow? Have, mount they have mountainous regions. Yes. Yes. <laughs> 
desert. Study your geography, boy. Yeah, I don't know any geography, Russ. Uh, where was I? Oh, eventually the U.S. decommissioned and destroyed all of its F-14 jets in 2006, with the exception of those already in museums. Iran, however, keeps operating its aging F-14 planes to this day. Uh, um, <clears throat> let's see. They even have helicopters like that and SU-57s out there, Russ? Uh, I have no idea, Steve. I pro- mm. Probably not in Iran. I think that was just for the movie itself. But uh, Anyway, final thoughts, Steve. Please give us your final thoughts. Well, Russ, um, I thought the movie was fantastic. I did have some problems with the cast. Uh, the younger pilots, uh, one thing I didn't say earlier was I wasn't really thrilled with um, uh, Mr. Ham, who was... Uh, uh, Maverick's superior. I just thought like he was the guy cast that he was that was gonna have to give Maverick a hard time. I don't know. He, like he does. I liked him in Mad Men. This one I didn't really didn't really think he fit. Like every time I was on screen it was just kind of an a hole. Mm. <laughs> like I'm like no. Jester and Viper were really hard on Maverick in the first movie, and they were very likable. I, I, I really didn't care for his character in, mm. in this movie. But um, and so anyway, the cast was kind of so so. And you know, one other thing with the was the there were certain scenes where the movie did kind of fall off in terms of like the speed. It was a bit slow. Other than that, though, I mean, those were very um, that maybe knocked it off a little bit. But as a whole, I am so thankful that the movie came out. Um, I mean, I walked out thinking, "Thank you, Bruckheimer Studios. Thank you, Tom Cruise. Thank you, Hans Zimmer." Like I was just thinking, like, man, this is exactly why. I go to the theater to see this. Is like, I, I want to see more of this movie. Like when you go to the theater and you, it takes forever to find a parking space and you're with everybody, you pay top dollar for condiments and everything. You want to be like really entertained. You don't want to walk out and be like, yeah, it was a two and a half star movie, three star kind of, you know, whatever. Like you want the full experience and this movie delivers on the whole experience. Mm-hmm. And I don't see a whole lot of movies in the theater altogether, let alone want to go see it multiple times. Mm-hmm. And this one I do. Like, I really want this movie to be successful. I want Hollywood to know that this is what you do to get money like this. Um, I, 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 I am all in their corner. Um, and I think it says something, like I said, in the, in the, in the very beginning of the, of the show, where, I mean, if, if you're a single dude, going to see the movie because you're a fan, you're going to love it. You can bring a date to the movie and you both would love it. There's still, there's something in there for everybody. Or if you've never even seen the movie before, you're still going to enjoy yourself in the mm. movie. And I think that speaks volumes for just movie making all together. It's really, I mean, after the, like the cast and kind of the pacing issues, it's really hard to find something that I did not like about the movie. <sighs> What is your rating, Steve? I am going to rate it a 4.5. 4.5. Four and a half. Five stars. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Steve. I suppose it's my turn. This, this film has been a long time coming. I know that, that people like you and myself have had many conversations over the years of like, what would a Top Gun 2 movie look like? Yes. What would it contain? Yes. And now we have one. And I think that's just part of, I don't know, like, like I feel as though it is such a surreal 
opportunity to be able to dive back into a world like this that is very much ingrained in pop culture phenomenon and, and you know, just the, the iconic type of, of visuals that you get from that. I just think, I, th- I think it's, it's such a rarity to see. And I, and I'm so glad how we are getting certain types of films or even actors to be able to come back and, and perform these different types of stories for us. I just, I feel really fortunate that we have different types of opportunities like this. Mm. When it comes to this movie in particular, yeah, that's right. It was just a great film yeah. all the way through. Was it perfect? No, it was no. not a perfect movie, but it was a great movie. Honestly, it, it surpassed my expectations uh, of what they did. Because again, like when I think of like the first Top Gun film, that's already been said and done. So what exactly do you do with a sequel? How do you make it its own type of experience that doesn't rely too much on the first film? Mm. And I really feel like they they came out swinging hard. I mean, they 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 hit a grand slam as far as I'm concerned when it comes to this, um, dealing with the different types of of themes that you know kind of swirl around this this notion of being older, like like looking at, at, at where he is, where he's been, where he's going, having all those things that we talked about in the past um, during the episode where. There's there's just so much that was that was successfully executed in this film, mm-hmm. and I find my you know again like it was one of those things where both my wife and I were just we were thrilled. We left the theater just talking about it and like saying, "Man, that was such a good movie. That was great." Like was, I haven't just, stopped thinking about it since I've seen it. It's been <laughs> really. days. Yeah, yeah. It's true that again, there there is a surprising amount of substance within this film that I know for myself I was not anticipating. I just figured it'd be like an action movie or a buddy sure. movie or whatever that may be. Yeah. I do think that there was some of like if I had to critique the film, I, I do believe some of the, the the weakness came from the new characters. In the sense that they just weren't memorable. They weren't they weren't ones that stood out to me personally. Sure, Russ. I get that. I'm glad you do, Steve. Yeah. I really one of the things that we forgot to talk about mm. was the uh, the other admiral uh who was he he was always sitting with um Ham. Yeah. And um really liked how, like his look and like his <clears throat> um personality and stuff. I, yeah. I thought that he was really cool too uh, as well, Steve. I, w- I think they could have just had him and taken out Ham's character. They could have, but at the same time, I, I do think that Ham's character presented yet another angle to conflict for Maverick, right? Where he was kind of the, the hard ass, right? He was someone who like, I don't know, like, like it's kind of nice to see the differences between the two men where one of them, you can see how like, both men do stuff by the book, but one can kind of see the the potential of Maverick versus the other one, which is like, he's only allowing it to happen because of Iceman. Yeah. So, however, I'm a bit, I'm trying to think about what my rating would be, Steve. Russ, you already know what it is. Do I? Oh, you know what it is. Mm. <sighs> Steve, I... Tell us what it is. 
We'll give it 4.5 out of 5 stars. I knew it. I knew you would, Rod. I knew you would. It was very close, but I do feel like there are certain, like, little, very small little critiques that <clears throat> prevent it from being mm -hmm. a five-star film for mm -hmm. me. However, I stand by my initial comment of saying how this is, in fact, you know, in this, in this man's humble opinion. Yeah. It's the best movie that we've seen yet this year. Yeah. So... Lots of fun. Lots of heart. Lots of good time. Yeah. Go see it. Why are you still watching us? Go, ah, see, it. go see it. If you if you've already seen it, then <clears throat> go see it a second time. But yeah, no, I I think my, um, our our proverbial hats go off to Mr. Tom Cruise, who was really um, the one that was pushing this whole thing to happen. You know, he was working on both um, the Top Gun sequel. And the next Mission Impossible film. Yeah. Hard-working man. The, uh, what is it, Skydance Productions or Skydance yep. Studios? The, I think that's his. Really? Celebrating its 10-year anniversary. Yeah. Time flies. Thank you so much for hanging out with us on Joygasm. If you like this show, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and consider becoming a monthly <clears throat> contributor. You'll gain exclusive perks and early access to the show. Not to mention, it financially helps us pay for all the goodness you see here. Also, make sure you banter with that subscribe button. Maybe show off your six-pack to that notification bell. That way, you will not miss a single solitary episode of Joygasm. It drops once a week, every week. And while you're at it, do a search or at Joygasm TV on your favorite social media platform of choice. We're on pretty much all of them, and you'll be able to enjoy seeing behind-the-scenes pics and all kinds of fun little nonsense that we like to put up there. Not to mention the fact it's great to join the Joygasm community. Come on. Mm. Last but not least, do a search for Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. We will look forward to hanging out with all of you next week. <laughs> <laughs>